What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Miller. So in this episode, I'm going to recap everything that happened last week in week 11 of the college football season. We'll start off with Jimbo Fisher being fired by Texas A&M after last week's game. He's going to be given a $77 million buyout, which is a record buyout for a college football head coach. He had eight years left on his deal, finishing that deal in 2031. It was scheduled to finish. Now it's obviously over with. So within those eight years, he was due $77 million. And was also given a $9 million annual extension in 2021. So this is a quick hook for him. They just said, screw it. Who cares about the extension? Let's get rid of him. If you look at Texas A&M, they're one of the richest programs in college football. And they're willing to spend big bucks, around $50 to $20 million per year, on a head coach that can get them in the college football playoff. They want to be a college football playoff team year in and year out. And when they currently stood, they were 6-4 and four this season under Jimbo Fisher, 4-3 and three in the SEC. And overall, in the six seasons with them, they, they were a good team. They were respectable in the SEC. 45 and 25 in six seasons with a 642 win percentage overall. That's pretty good. 27 and 21 in the SEC, though. They want to be better in the SEC, and they want to compete for a national championship. That's not where they were at in any of these seasons, for the most part, with Jimbo Fisher. They were 3-0 in bowl games under him, but last season they were 5-7, and seven, missed a bowl game. And when they currently stand, they're 6-4, not probably going to get a great bowl where they currently stand. As I said, Texas A&M is willing to go out there and spend big bucks, and I think they're going to do so. My prediction for the offseason is that they get Dabo Sweeney from Clemson. I know Dabo has made it clear he wants to stay at Clemson over the last couple of years when there have been some rumblings with him leaving the program. He stayed there. I think he's going to end up switching over to Texas A&M. We saw a lot of college football coaches over the last year or two leave programs they were successful at for bigger money, like Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma going to USC, like Brian Kelly at Notre Dame going over to LSU for more money. I think Dabo Sweeney is going to flip. I think he's going to go from Clemson to Texas A&M. That's a big prediction of mine for this upcoming offseason in college football. Next up, we have BC getting blown up by Virginia Tech at home last weekend, 48-22. Brutal game for BC. Thomas Castellanos had a poor day throwing the ball, 10-20 passing, 110 passing yards with the passing touchdown and two interceptions. As I said, he did really struggle throwing the ball in this game. This has been probably two games in a row that he hasn't really been great throwing the ball, which that's something you can improve upon. Maybe if you find... Better ways to get the ball out of your hands quick. Maybe you're looking through progressions, not at the right rate. There's some things he can work on, obviously, but we do know when he does run the ball, he's electric, and that's something he tried to use an advantage in this game, but Virginia Tech did make it hot on him to get outside the pocket. BC's defense has been a strong suit for them over the win streak that they had heading into this game. They won five games in a row heading into that one, but they allowed 600 yards last week to Virginia Tech. From penalties to bad tackling to giving up big chunk plays in the year, that was a killer for BC in that one. BC's defense allowed five scoring possessions in their first six defensive possessions to Virginia Tech's offense. Tech scored on five of their first six possessions in the first half with four touchdowns and a field goal. BC trailed 31-7 at halftime, and that was basically it. I thought they still had a hope. They started off the second half with a stop and maybe scored right away. That wasn't the case. 363 rushing yards for Virginia Tech in this one. They just absolutely ran the ball all over BC. All game. Their quarterback, Kyron Jones, had a good game passing and running the ball. 219 passing yards, two passing touchdowns, and 135 rushing yards as well. He was electric in that game. BC needs Thomas Castellanos to throw the ball better. Had a couple careless turnovers in that one throwing the ball in the year with a couple interceptions. They need him to be better throwing the ball. Which I have a lot of confidence in Castellanos. He's shown a lot of progression this year and also shows he could be a big playmaker for this offense. But in that game last week, he came up short against VT, and a lot of the BC offense did overall. Not having Kai Robichaux was a big loss for the offense. Their star running back was out for that game, so not having him definitely was a difference maker. But at the end of the day, BC had a chance to 
win their sixth game in a row and came up short in that game at home at Alumni Stadium. Next up, number two, Michigan took down number nine, Penn State, 24-15 last weekend. Quarterback Drew Aller for Penn State had a poor day passing the ball. He was 10 of 22 passing, which Michigan's defense is great. He had 70 passing yards with a passing touchdown. Did add 10 carries of 49 yards and a touchdown on the ground. But that Penn State offense definitely struggled all day. Blake Corum, the running back for Michigan, they relied heavily on in that Wolverines offense. They only threw one pass after the 741 mark in the second quarter. They just rode Blake Corum all the way to their win there. Still good enough to get the win, but I'm not really sold on J.J. McCarthy, the quarterback for Michigan. I know a lot of people are a fan of him, and he's likely going to be a first-round pick in this upcoming draft, but I still need to see more from him. And obviously, they have a lot of turmoil with that team right now with Jim Harbaugh's suspension due to the cheating scandal, which I don't really know too much about it. I did read, but I don't know enough about it to really make an opinion. But if things were true that Michigan was indeed cheating and using sign stealing as a way to get an advantage in each game, I think they should be outlawed from the college football playoff. They should be outlawed from the CFP if that were to be the case, if they were actually cheating. Which there were pictures from a game between Michigan State and Central Michigan at the beginning of the season that Connor Stallions, an analyst for the Michigan football team, was on the sidelines for Central Michigan in that one with sunglasses and a Central Michigan jacket just trying to fit in with the coaches. And it didn't really look like him. And I wouldn't be surprised. I heard there were reports that there was a whole database of a whole sign-stealing scandal between all of the Big Ten teams or a good amount of them that were involved. If that were to be the case, the NCAA has to find a way to crack down on that and have some discipline for these teams. Because there shouldn't be any incentive to cheat. And as I said, I don't really know enough about this situation. I think there's still a lot more to learn. But if that were to be the case and Jim Harbaugh knew about this, that three-game suspension should be more than that. I think the cultural playoff should cut out Michigan from it if that were to be the case and it were to be indeed true that Michigan was getting an advantage by scouting teams with some of their staff members on the sidelines for games against their future opponents. That shouldn't be allowed. So now I'm going to transition to talk about Washington, the number five team in the country, who escaped a close win over number 18 Utah, winning that one 35-28. Washington's offense has been one of the best in the country all season. 41 points for a game, which is fifth best in the NCAA. They did trail in this one, though, 28-24 at halftime. They did shut out Utah in the second half. Washington is undefeated right now, and they probably have to stay undefeated in order to make the college football playoff. They're still alive for it. I still believe in this team. I had them in the college football playoff before the season began. Uh, Michael Pettix is my Heisman winner, even though right now he's probably second or third in the Heisman race. I still see him as a guy that's going to be there at the end of the season, right there toe-to-toe with whoever wins. I think he still can win it, though. I haven't lost confidence. In this game, 332 passing outs, two passing touchdowns, and a rushing touchdown for three total scores for Pennix in that one. Romo Dunzi, their top wide receiver, three catches for 111 yards and two touchdowns. He was electric in that game. Definitely will be a first-round pick in April. Utah was without their star quarterback, Kim Rising, yet again. He's going to be up for the rest of the season. So they are rolling with Bryson Bonds as their quarterback. Still had a good game in this one. I mean, they kept it close. Obviously scored 28 points in the first half, but couldn't get anything going in the second half for that Utah offense. So that's a big reason they lost that game. As for San Jose State, they improved to 5-5 five five on the season, winning their fourth straight game. This one being a blowout win over Fresno State, 42-18. They start off the year with a tough schedule. They've gone back on track, though. I never really gave up with this team. I still saw them as a bold team, even after they lost some of those games early in the season, because I saw the potential in the route of conference games. They had a tough schedule to begin the year, and they fought in a lot of those games. They fought in a lot of those games. Having to play USC and Oregon State to begin the season in Air Force, that's a tough schedule to begin the year. I still believe in this team. Because I saw a lot of talent in their quarterback, Shevin Cordero. And when you have a good quarterback in college football, you're going to win a lot of games. 
And in this one, against Fresno State, they start off the game with a 21-3 lead after the first quarter. Really dominated from the get-go. Cordero didn't have to throw much in this game. 9 of 18 passing, 146 yards. Had three passing touchdowns, though, in this contest. He didn't have to throw too much. Only 18 passes with nine completions. And that's because their run game is elite. Kyrie Robinson is a great running back. He absolutely balled to that game on Saturday. 19 carries, 200 yards, and two touchdowns on the ground. Cordero in the season, 16 passing touchdowns, three interceptions with three rushing touchdowns, so 19 total touchdowns on the year. One of the most underrated quarterbacks in all college football. He makes NFL throws on a weekly basis, and I'm excited to see what his future holds. I believe this kid could be a quarterback in the NFL one day. Next up, we have number eight, Alabama. Blowout Kentucky last week, 49-21. Bama jumped out to a 21-7 lead in the first quarter. Never really looked back. They were 28-7 at halftime. Three touchdowns to begin the game in the first quarter for Jalen Monroe, their starting quarterback. He had two passing and a rushing touchdown in that first quarter. Finished the game, 234 passing yards, three passing touchdowns, an interception with eight carries to 36 yards and three touchdowns on the ground. So six total touchdowns for Monroe in that game. Alabama is back in the college football playoff talks. They've won eight straight games. They did start the year a little bit shaky. Monroe did start the year pretty slow. But now on the year, 16 passing touchdowns, 6 interceptions, and 12 rushing touchdowns for 28 total scores on the year. They'll be playing Georgia in the SEC Championship in a few weeks. That's going to definitely determine whether or not they're in the college football playoff or Georgia is. The next game we're going to mention is number 14, Missouri, demolishing number 13, Tennessee, last week, 36-7. It was a 13-7 game at halftime, with Missouri having a short lead there, just 13-7. But then they outscored Tennessee 23-0 in the second half. They're running the ball all day in Tennessee's defense. 255 rushing yards on the day for the Missouri offense. Their running back, Cody Schrader, had a big day. 35 carries for 205 yards in a rushing touchdown. That's like a Derrick Henry stat line there. 35 carries and 205 yards. They rode him to that victory, obviously. Joe Milton, the quarterback for Tennessee, had 267 passing yards, a passing touchdown in an interception. Wasn't the best day for their offense. But at the end of the day, Tennessee... Was already on the CFP anyways, realistically, so this loss doesn't really mean too much. It's still going to be in a bowl game. But I did expect more this season from Joe Milton in that offense. I thought Milton was going to have an electric year, have a ton of touchdowns, be in the Heisman race, but that just wasn't the case, obviously. He hasn't really had as good of a year as I thought he would. The last game I'm going to mention is USC in their loss to Oregon last week. Oregon getting that win 36-27 over the Trojans. The Trojans have now lost four of their last five games, with that one win being a close 50-49 defeat of UCAL Berkeley. So they could have easily lost their last five games. Bo Nix had another monster game for that Oregon Ducks offense. 412 passing yards and four touchdowns in that game. On the season, 29 passing touchdowns, two interceptions, and five rushing touchdowns. He has been one of the best quarterbacks in all college football. Oregon had 13 penalties in this game. That's one thing they have to do better with is their discipline. But if you look at their offense and defense, they're one of the best in the country both ways. Their offense averaging 46 points per game, which is number one in college football. Their defense giving up 17 points per game, which is 14th best in all of the NCAA. Honestly, we'll likely get into the college football playoff depending on who wins the Pac-12. It's going to be between them and Washington, the way things currently stand. They're an absolute wagon, though. It's going to be a fun matchup to watch. Washington already beat them this season. I still believe Washington can beat them again. I want to see Washington and Penix in the CFP. That would be great to watch, considering Penix is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And Washington all season has been consistent, winning some big games, even though a lot of them have been close, winning a lot of games along the way. I think that team would be a fun one to watch. But Oregon, if they do get in, that's definitely a team to watch out for. That team's an absolute wagon, and they're destined to destroy someone's season in the CFP if they were to make it in. But right now, the Pac-12 championship isn't set up yet. It's between four teams. you got Washington. you got Oregon. you got Oregon State and Arizona, four teams that are all ranked in the top 25. Arizona's been great this season, 7-3. They are 5-2 in the Pac-12. They're currently number 19 overall in the country. And then you look at 
Oregon State, the number 10 in the country right now, one of the best teams in the country as well, especially defensively. They're 8-2 overall this season with a 5-2 record in the Pac-12. I'm excited to see who wins the Pac-12. Those four teams, definitely any of them, are still in the running. It'll be a great matchup to watch, no matter who is the combination between those four teams. As for USC in this game, their quarterback, Caleb Williams, had 19 completions and 34 attempts, a 56% completion percentage, 291 passing yards, a passing touchdown, an interception, and a rushing touchdown. Probably will hang it up for the season soon. They have one more game against UCLA this weekend, and then after that, have a bye week next week, and then it's the Pac-12 championship, and then bowl games. I don't think he's going to play in any of those. He's a contender right now for the first pick in the NFL draft in April. I think he's probably going to play in his last game in college football this coming weekend against UCLA. I know there were a lot of reports at one point during the season from his father that if there's a team that has the first overall pick that they're not interested in, that he'd go back to college. I don't think that's the case. I think he's going to be in the NFL draft. It'd be only smart to go to the NFL draft and not risk getting hurt in college and risk your chances of getting a high draft pick spot in the NFL draft. I think it would be the best decision for him to just go to the NFL draft and see where things go from there. I do think he's overrated, like I've said now already. I think Drake May is a better quarterback, and I think Michael Penix is the best quarterback overall in this NFL draft. I think he should get more buzz to be a top 15 pick in the NFL draft. But the way things currently stand, people still have Penix outside the top 15 in a lot of their mock drafts, which in a second, I'm going to give you a breakdown of my second and third mock drafts. But before doing so, I want to mention one more thing about USC. Their defense has been abysmal all season. That's a main flaw I pointed out at the beginning of the season that I said they're going to lose at least three games because of that defense. And that's why I didn't believe in them as a CFP team. And a lot of people had them being a CFP team considering how high they were in the rankings before the season began. But that defense was always faulty to me. I didn't really believe in them enough. And that's why... They've already lost games this season. That defense is a big reason they've lost four of the last five games. And they easily could have lost all five of those games in the last five, including a narrow victory over UCAL Berkeley 50-49. That's a game they could have lost, and they were lucky to end up winning that one. So now for my second mock draft, which I made this right before week seven of the NFL season. I didn't get to record, unfortunately, but these are my thoughts before week seven of the NFL season. As I said, I did one before the season, and then this is my mid-season one, and then I'm going to have another one that's a current one that I just made over the last couple of days, and that'll be my third mock draft. So this is my second one before week seven of the NFL season. With the first overall pick, the Chicago Bears owned this pick from the Carolina Panthers. The Panthers are 0-6 at this point of the season. And I had the Bears taking Caleb Williams out of USC. So in this situation, the Chicago Bears would end up trading Justin Fields to Atlanta Falcons, where I think it would be a great landing spot for Justin Fields. I think Fields would thrive in Atlanta. He's a great running back in B. John Robinson. He's got Kyle Pitts at tight end. Drake London at wide receiver, and hopefully they add another wide receiver in the draft. I think he would thrive in Atlanta. In this situation, I think Chicago would end up trading Justin Fields to the Atlanta Falcons in exchange for, let's say, a second and a fourth-round pick. Then with the second overall pick, the Bears are 1-5 at this point. I have them taking Marvin Harrison Jr. out of Ohio State. So they get the top two picks in the draft at this point. And they get Caleb Williams, the quarterback from USC, and Marvin Harrison Jr., a wide receiver from Ohio State, the best wide receiver over on the draft in most people's eyes. So that's a great one-two punch for their offense. At number three, we have the Denver Broncos at one and five. I had them taking Drake May at this point of the season, a quarterback out of UNC. With that being said, though, Russell Wilson's been playing great as of late. And if you look at that contract, it's going to be hard to move him. Maybe Denver try to roll with Russell Wilson. I think I have the Broncos taking somebody else other than a quarterback in my third mock draft. But in the second mock draft, at this point in the season, when the Broncos are 1-5, I have them taking Drake May, a quarterback out of UNC. 
At number four, we have the Cardinals, who are one and five. I had them trading this pick to Minnesota. Minnesota end up taking Michael Penix Jr., a quarterback out of Washington. And in this trade, Minnesota will be trading the eighth overall pick, their first round pick in 2025, and a fourth round pick in this year's draft in 2024 in exchange for the fourth overall pick and Arizona's fifth round pick in this year's draft. With the fifth overall pick, the Giants are 1-5. I had them taking Joe Alt, a tackle out of Notre Dame. And in this situation, the Giants would move Evan Neal to inside a guard. So the tackle on the left side would be Andrew Thomas. The right tackle would be Joe Alt. And then you'd have Evan Neal on the inside as a guard. In this situation, the Giants would roll with Daniel Jones for another season. I know that's probably unlikely the way things currently stand. I would love to roll with Daniel Jones. I still believe in him. I think he, he can be a winning quarterback in the NFL. But considering what's around him right now in the Giants, he's set up to fail. And I think at the end of the day, they might roll with another quarterback considering they can get out of Daniel Jones' contract after the second year of this deal. With the sixth overall pick, the Patriots are 1-5. and five, And I have them taking quarterback Bo Nix out of Oregon. If you look at Bo Nix, he's had a great season the last two years at Oregon since transferring over there from Auburn. And if you look at the Patriots right now where they currently stand, they've lost all faith and hope in Mac Jones. At some point, he's not going to be the start for them very soon. And so it makes sense for them to go out and get a quarterback, especially when they're picking this high in the draft. At number seven, we have the two and four Minnesota Vikings. I them traded this pick to Arizona, like I just said. And so with this pick, Arizona would be selecting since the Vikings would be picking with the fourth overall pick. I had them taking Michael Penix. With the seventh overall pick, this would be owned by Arizona. And I have Arizona taking Kool-Aid McKinstry, a cornerback out of Alabama. With the eighth overall pick, we have the two and four Tennessee Titans. I had them taking Keon Coleman, a wide receiver out of Florida State. At number nine, we have the Green Bay Packers, who are two and three at this point. And I have them taking Olu Fashanu, a tackle out of Penn State. Long-time left tackle David Bakhtiari is out for the rest of the season. He has one year remaining with a $40 million cap hit next season. Maybe he restructures or Green Bay tries to trade him and try to chew a lot of that money. But they'll be looking for a left tackle of the future. And in this pick here, I'm taking Fashanu, a left tackle out of Penn State, who's going to be a certified All-Pro at some point in his career. With the 10th overall pick, we have the LA Chargers, who are 2-3 and three at this point in the season, heading into Week 7. And I'm taking Rome Odunze, who is a wide receiver from Washington, the Chargers are in an interesting position where they currently stand at the wide receiver position. Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, nobody really knows the future of both of those guys with the franchise. Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, both have another year left on their deal after this year is over. They do have an opt-out, but I doubt they're going to opt-out considering they're both getting a good amount of money next season. If you look at where the Chargers currently stand, they're going to probably end up cutting one of these guys. I think Keenan Allen they stay with for another year and then they cut Mike Williams. If they can restructure money for next year for these guys, maybe they both end up staying. But with things currently stand, they both have monster cap hits for next year. Mike Williams is at $32 million for next season. And then Keenan Allen's at $34 million. So they have decisions to make there at the wide receiver position. With the unknown future of both of these receivers, they probably are going to go out and try to look for another receiver to help Justin Herbert out. If both guys were to be cut after this year's over, the Chargers would carry around $24 million in dead money in 2025. But it would save them a great amount of money, especially considering how big their cap hit is next season. Quinton Johnston was just a first-round pick in 2023. He really hasn't done too much yet, although he has started to click now over the past couple weeks. He's doing better now than he was at the beginning of the season. But I do think the Chargers are going to get rid of one of those receivers. I think it ends up being Mike Williams, and I think Keenan Allen will be back for another season. Keenan Allen has been great this season. It's going to be really tough to move on from considering he's one of the best receivers in the NFL right now through the midway point of the season. And while I'm talking about the Chargers, shout out ClipCase74 on YouTube. Go check out his page. He talks everything from the Clippers to all news around the NBA. and even talks about the NFL as well. Go check out his page when you get the chance. With the 11th overall pick, we have the New Orleans Saints at 3-3, three three, taking Jerzon Newton, a defensive lineman from Illinois. With the 12th overall pick, we have the Atlanta Falcons at 3-3, three three, taking a defensive lineman from Florida State, and that's Jared Verse. 
I have them trading with Justin Fields as their starting quarterback. So with this pick, I have them adding to their defense. With the 13th overall pick, it's a Houston Texans pick, but it's owned by the Arizona Cardinals. The Texans were 3-3 three and three at this point of the season. And I have the Cardinals taking an edge rusher in Leatu Latu from UCLA with the 14th overall pick. We have the Las Vegas Raiders, who are 3-3 three and three at this point, and I have them taking a cornerback, Kaylin King from Penn State with the 15th overall pick. The Indianapolis Colts are 3-3. Three and three. I have them taking a wide receiver, and that's Malik Nabors, a wideout from LSU. And so now for my mock draft 3.0, which this is something I just made the last couple of days, so the records for teams are accurate, and so is the draft order. So let's start off with the Bears. They have the first overall pick because it's coming from Carolina. Carolina's 1-8, and eight, and I have the Bears taking Marvin Harrison Jr. from Ohio State. Originally, in my second mock draft, I had the Bears trading Justin Fields and getting a new QB, but depending on how he plays for the rest of the season when he returns from injury this week, they could pass on a quarterback and take the best player available. I believe in Justin Fields. I think it would be the best thing for them to roll with Justin Fields for another year. But if they end up moving on from him and take a quarterback, that's still on the table as well. I wouldn't be surprised if they go and take a quarterback with the first overall pick. With a second overall pick, we have the New York Giants at 2-8. And, and I have them taking Drake May, a quarterback out of UNC. Before Daniel Jones' ACL injury, I still thought the Giants would probably win around 5-6 to six games in the last 9 games of the season to be somewhere near a playoff spot, but still be out of range for a top pick. But now with him being hurt for the rest of the season, the Giants are in a position to draft a new quarterback. And even though Jordan ran on has had articles over the last few days that he wouldn't be surprised if Daniel Jones and Brian Dable are back for another season. The Giants roll with Daniel Jones for another year since there's still a lot of faith in him in the building. As much as I would love to see Daniel Jones back for another season as a starter, I do think they're going to roll in a different direction and go with the quarterback. I still believe in Daniel Jones. I still think he can be a winning quarterback in the NFL, but I do think the Giants are going to go out and draft a quarterback. With it being said, though, I'd be psyched to see Daniel Jones back for another season as a starter. I would love to see them add to the offensive line, considering how poor the offensive line is and the receives average at best for the most part. I think Daniel Jones would thrive with some more help around him, but I do think the Giants are going to go out and take a quarterback, and that's why I've been taking Drake May, a quarterback out of UNC. With the third overall pick, the New England Patriots are 2-8. and eight. I've been taking quarterback Caleb Williams out of USC. A few weeks ago, I still thought the Patriots had a chance at rolling with Mac for another season. But after Sunday's game against Indianapolis, they're in a position to draft a quarterback. They're in a position they've never been in under Bill Belichick, and I think they're going to likely look for the next franchise quarterback. With it being said, the Patriots' situation right now is a recipe for disaster. An aging coach that has struggled since Tom Brady left. A poor offensive line, brutal weapons, and a fan base that completely despises you. Mac Jones is in a tough position, and whatever quarterback's stepping in isn't stepping into an easy position at all. With the fourth overall pick, I have the Arizona Condos at 2-8 and eight, taking an offensive tackle on Olu Fashanu, a tackle out of Penn State. In the scenario, I have Arizona rolling with Kyler Murray for of the season, and I think they look to add help on the offensive line for him. With the fifth overall pick, we have the Bears at 3-5, and five, taking offensive tackle Joe Alt out of Notre Dame. The Bears' offensive line has gotten Justin Fields beat up a ton this year and even last year as well. They need to protect him or whatever quarterback is taking snaps under center for them next year. So I have them taking Joe Alt out of Notre Dame to help them on the offensive line. With the sixth overall pick, we have the Green Bay Packers at 3-6. and six. But I have them trading this pick with the Atlanta Falcons. The Atlanta Falcons will be trading the 10th overall pick, the first round pick in 2025, and the 148th overall pick in this year's draft in exchange for the 6th overall pick. And I have the Atlanta Falcons taking Michael Penix, a quarterback from Washington, with a 7th overall pick. We have the 3-6 and six LA Rams taking cornerback Kool-Aid McKinstry out of Alabama. The Rams secondary isn't as strong as it once was back in the day with John Johnson III and Jalen Ramsey. I think they're going to add a cornerback in the draft within the first two days, and I think there's a perfect opportunity to go out and get the best cornerback in the draft. I think Kool-Aid could be like a sauce gardener in the NFL, step in the league and be a lockdown corner from day one. With the eighth overall pick, we have the Tennessee Titans at 3-6. and six. 
taking Keon Coleman, a wide receiver from Florida State. I had them taking Keon Coleman in my last mock draft, and the same goes in my third mock draft. Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill are both free agents at the end of the season. Tennessee needs to go out and draft some receivers and help Will Levis since Traylon Burks can't stay healthy, sadly. I think he could be a great receiver if he were to stay healthy, but hasn't been able to stay healthy. And then DeAndre Hopkins is getting older and only has one year left on his deal. I think Coleman could step in and be the wide receiver one for them right away, and I think he's right there with Marvin Harrison Jr. as the best wide receiver in this draft. With the ninth overall pick, it was originally owned by the Atlanta Falcons at 4-6, and six, but I had them trading with Green Bay a second ago to go and take Michael Penix. So with this pick, Green Bay is taking Jerzon Newton, a defensive lineman from Illinois. Green Bay needs some help on the defensive line. Rashawn Gary's a free agent. We'll see what they do there. But I have them taking Newton to help them on the defensive line. With the 10th overall pick, we have the Washington Commanders at 4-6. and six. They have one of the worst offensive lines in football. I have them taking offensive tackle J.C. Latham from the University of Alabama. Latham can play tackle or guard, both of which Washington needs help with. I do think there's a chance they could go out and draft a quarterback, but I think they might be happy with what they've seen from Sam Howell this season. He's honestly been underrated like I predicted he would be before the season began. I think they go out and get him some help on the offensive line. He's been the most sacked quarterback in the NFL by far this season. They need to help him and get some help on the offensive line for him. With the 11th overall pick, we have the 4-5 and five Tampa Bay Bucks taking quarterback Bo Nix out of Oregon. Even though Baker Mayfield has had a respectable season for them, I think where Tampa Bay currently stands, they're in line right now to take that next franchise quarterback. I don't think Baker Mayfield is their franchise quarterback, and neither is Kyle Trask. Either taking Bo Nix out of Oregon and taking a shot on him. We'll see if things work out for him in the NFL. I do think there is a high risk, but also high reward potential there for Bo Nix. Not completely sold on him being an NFL quarterback just yet, but he has looked very good over the last two seasons at Oregon. With the 12th overall pick, it's the New York Jets at 4-5, and five, and I have them taking Talese Fuaga, a tackle from Oregon State. The Jets' offensive line has been abysmal this season. With Aaron Rodgers coming back, maybe even at some point this season, and obviously coming back next season, hopefully, they need to protect him, get him help on the offensive line. And I think Fuaga would be a great pick for them to try to give Aaron Rodgers some time to throw. Obviously, we saw him go down so early in the season, just on the fourth snap of the year for the Jets. There is a chance he might come back in December, which there are reports that he is likely trying to come back. He's still rehabbing, still throwing from the Achilles injury, which is remarkable. But I still think there is a chance if the Jets are out of the playoffs at that point that he sits out the rest of the year. We'll see where they currently stand at that point in a few weeks. I'd love to see Aaron Rodgers back, but I don't know if it's the smartest thing for him if the Jets are outside the playoff picture at that point in the season. With the 13th overall pick, we have the 4-5 and five Denver Broncos. I have them taking an edge rusher in Leatu Latu from UCLA. Denver could go and get a quarterback with this pick, but with Russell Wilson's contract being impossible to move and with him having a bounce back year this year, maybe they run it back for one more season. With the 14th overall pick, I have the LA Chargers, who are 4-5, and five, taking quarterback Kaylin King from Penn State. They need to add to their secondary. They moved on from J.C. Jackson not too long ago. And then cornerback Michael Davis is a free agent at the end of the year. Austin Eck was a free agent. Linebacker Kenneth Murray's a free agent at the end of the season. So they have a lot of moving pots and could have a whole new look next season if they were to move, let's say, Keenan Allen or Mike Williams. As of now, I think Keenan Allen is back. I think Mike Williams will be gone. I think this is his last season with the Chargers. And unfortunately, he did go down to an injury earlier this year. So obviously a tough end to his Chargers career if that's it. But I do think they need help in that secondary. And I think Kaywin King would be a great pick for them. With the 15th overall pick, we have the Indianapolis Colts at 5-5, five and five, and I have them taking edge rusher Chop Robinson from Penn State. Indy could go out here and get a potential steal in Chop Robinson if he does fall this far. They need a disruptor on the defensive line next to DeForest Buckner, and I think he would fit in there perfectly on that D-line. At 16, we have the Las Vegas Raiders at 5-5, five and five, and I have them taking quarterback J.J. McCarthy out of Michigan. The Raiders have won two games in a row with Antonio Pierce as their head coach. Sometimes you get a new head coach or a new quarterback, Things completely switch and they flip and the momentum switches and the team plays differently with those new things around them. 
The Raiders got a new head coach in Antonio Pierce a couple weeks ago, and they also made Aiden O'Connell the starter over Jimmy G, and their luck has flipped. They're currently 5-5. Five and five. With this pick right now, though, I've been taking J.J. McCarthy. They just got rid of Ziegler, their GM, which usually when there's a new GM that steps in, they go out and get their quarterback, and I think they'll go out and get McCarthy, a guy that I'm not completely sold on yet, though. I know the sports guru, Mike Curry, is a big fan of him, but I'm not too sure his talent translates to the NFL just yet. With the 17th overall pick, we have the 5-5 five five Buffalo Bills, and I have them taking a safety in Cameron Kenshins out of U-Miami. Buffalo needs to revamp their secondary in the defensive line. They have three edge rushers that are free agents in the offseason, Leonard Floyd, Shaq Lawson, and A.J. Epinesa. Also, Micah Hyde is a free agent as well. I do think it's only a matter of time until Stephon Diggs wants out and asks for a trade as well. So they might need help at receiver in the offseason. They'll need help in their secondary and maybe even on the defensive line as well. So they're going to have a lot of moving pots probably this offseason. Kinjins is one of my favorite players in the draft. He's a hard-hitting safety, good tackler, solid in coverage, and got a ton of athleticism. I think he's going to be a stud in the NFL. With the 18th overall pick, we have the 5-4 Cincinnati Bengals taking edge rusher Dallas Turner out of Alabama. Turner has fallen a little bit down draft boards as of late, but based on athleticism and potential, I still think he'll be a day one pick. Unfortunately for the Bengals, though, which this was a report that came out yesterday, and I'm recording this on two different days. Unfortunately, Joe Burrow just went down with a season-ending injury, unfortunately, which will likely dampen the rest of the season for the Cincinnati Bengals. They're probably going to go out and get a higher draft pick than you'd imagine before the season began. They're currently at 5-5. Five and five. With this pick, I've been taking edge rush to Dallas Turner. We'll see what they need in the offseason. It's obviously a tough break seeing Joe Burrow go down. There's just been so many injuries this season. And with Burrow going down, just as he was starting to find his groove and the Bengals were getting back on track, it's just devastating to see. And as you know from listening to the podcast, I'm a big Joe Burrow fan. I had him at second best in the NFL heading into the season. And it's just devastating to see him go down, especially when the Bengals were just finding their footing and getting themselves back on track and being an AFC contender. With the 19th overall pick, I have the New Orleans Saints at 5-5, five five, taking edge rusher Jared Verse out of Florida State. The Saints need help on the defensive line. Verse was once considered a top 7-10 pick. He's fallen down draft boards a little bit, but at 19th, this would be a steal for them. They took Brian Brzee last year out of Clemson. He fell all the way down into the lower 20s in the draft. This could be another steal where a guy in the ACC that's a great edge rusher defensive lineman falls in the draft, and they find him at the bottom of the first round. With the 20th overall pick, it was originally a Houston Texans pick. Since they're 5-4, they have the 20th overall pick. But it's owned by the Arizona Cardinals. And with this pick, I have Arizona taking wide receiver Romo Dunze out of Washington. Somehow, Dunze falls all the way down in this mock draft. He's a guy I'm very high on, though. A stud for the Huskies offense. Excited to see what he does in the NFL. With the 21st overall pick, we have the 6-4 Minnesota Vikings taking edge rusher Braylon Trice out of Washington. He leads college football in pressures. Daniel Hunter and Marcus Davenport are both free agents at the end of the season. So edge rusher will be in need for Minnesota. Where Dobbs is right now, they're going to continue to win games. Kirk Cousins and Josh Dobbs are both free agents at the end of the year. So maybe the Minnesota Vikings could go out and draft a quarterback in the future. But I think they're going to sit back for another year or two with Kirk Cousins. With the 22nd overall pick, with the 6-3 Dallas Cowboys taking wide receiver Malik Nabors out of LSU. Somehow he falls all the way down in this mock draft. That's just the way things shook out. With the 23rd overall pick, it's a 6-3 Pittsburgh Steelers, and I have them taking Cooper DeGene, a cornerback out of Iowa. He's been a great defensive back for them this season, but unfortunately he's going to miss the rest of the year with a leg injury. The Steelers could use help at cornerback, so this pick makes sense, and he could also return kicks and punts, so that's obviously a plus as well. With the 24th overall pick, it was originally the Cleveland Browns pick who was 6-3, but it's owned by the Houston Texans because of the Deshaun Watson trade, and I have Houston taking Omarius Mims, an offensive tackle from Georgia with this pick. The Texans could use help on the offensive line to give Stroud some more protection. He's doing great without an offensive line, so imagine him with even more time to throw. It's going to be even more dangerous. With the 25th overall pick, with the Miami Dolphins at 6-3, I've been taking tight end Brock Bowers out of Georgia. 
I have Bowers falling in this mock draft, just like I did in the second mock draft as well. He's one of the most talented players in our college football, but tight end is just isn't a big value position, especially high in the draft, as we saw with Kyle Pitts. He's been hurt this season as well. I have him falling all the way to 25th. With the 26th overall pick with the Seattle Seahawks at 6-3, I have him taking Barrett Cotter, a linebacker out of Clemson. Devin Bush, Bobby Wagner, and Jordan Brooks are all free agents at the end of the year, so they're going to need some linebacker help. With the 27th overall pick, we have the San Francisco 49ers at 6-3, taking cornerback Nate Wiggins out of Clemson. Javon Kenlaw and Chase Young are both free agents at the end of the season, so defensive line help may be needed for them in the draft or free agency, but secondary is still in need as well. I think Wiggins would step out and help out right away. With the 28th overall pick, we have the 6-3 Jacksonville Jaguars taking offensive tackle Jordan Morgan out of Arizona. They need some help on the defense, though. Caleb Von Chesson is a free agent at the end of the year, and the same goes for their best edge rusher and the best player overall on the defense, Josh Allen. So edge could be a need for them in the offseason. And from what I've seen, Chesson really never really panned out for them after being a first-round pick for them before. I think they're going to need some help at receiver as well. Kevin Ridley is a free agent at the end of the season. He doesn't really have that strong of a connection with Trevor Lawrence like I thought he would. So see if they go out and draft a receiver as well. And like I said, they still need help on the offensive line. So I have them taking Jordan Morgan out of Arizona. And one thing I just noticed is that I messed up the 27th and 28th overall pick. I'll keep the same players going where they're going. I'll still have Jacksonville taking Jordan Morgan, but that will be the 27th overall pick. And with the 28th overall pick, I'll have the San Francisco 49ers taking Nate Wiggins. I mixed up the draft slot for both those teams. With the 29th overall pick, we have the 8-3 Baltimore Ravens. And I have them taking a wide receiver in A.D. Mitchell out of Texas. He's a former UGA Bulldog who shined for them during the college football playoff over the last couple seasons. I believe he had four touchdowns in the two years he was at UGA in the CFP. They still could use some help at wide receiver for the Ravens. Zay Flowers is a good slot receiver, but I still think they could use a bigger receiver like Mitchell, who is six foot four, could extend the field and obviously help with some toss-ups in the end zone. Honestly, I think he could probably be the third or fourth best wide receiver in all of college football. He would be a steal with the 29th overall pick here for the Ravens. With the 30th overall pick, we have the 7-2 Detroit Lions taking wide receiver Mecca Igbuka out of Ohio State. They could use some help at the wide receiver position and maybe pair him with Amon Ross St. Brown. I think Igbuka could be a stud for them in the slot, but we'll see if they go out and draft a wide receiver in the first round. With the 31st overall pick, we have the 7-2 Kansas City Chiefs, and I have them taking Johnny Wilson, a wide receiver out of Florida State, who is 6'7", a monster of a receiver, who tore BC apart with some big first down plays when they played back in September. Could be unreal with Patrick Mahomes, a 6'7 threat who could help you out in the red zone. The Chiefs could go out and get an offensive lineman here since Donovan Smith is a free agent, but I think wide receiver, especially top receiver, is the biggest need right now. And I think Johnny Wilson would be awesome on that offense. With the 32nd overall pick, the last one of the first round, we have the 8-1 and Philadelphia Eagles taking defensive lineman and Leonard Taylor out of U-Miami. They have a lot of free agents to look at. Jason Kelsey, Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, DeAndre Swift. With Fletcher Cox and then also Brandon Graham both potentially being done at the end of the season if they were to retire, they're going to need help on the defensive line. And Leonard Taylor would be a great upside pick here with the 32nd overall pick. The Eagles have drafted very well over the last couple of years. They find guys that follow them in the draft with high upside potential, like Jalen Carter. They took this past draft with the ninth overall pick. If they were to get Leonard Taylor here with the 32nd overall pick, that would be an absolute steal. Anyways, that will conclude this episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. I hope you guys have a good one. I'll see you guys in the next episode. Thank you.